Well, good morning, Oakwood. So glad that you're here with us this morning and just want to say a special hello to all those that are uh, watching us online this morning. Uh, hopefully you'll be able to join us again really, really soon. It's an exciting day for us because kids can go to children's church today. I mean, I've had kids in the lobby over the last uh, couple of months, you know, just, just, you know, just dejected because uh, they, they want to get back to uh, their teachers. And uh, we have uh, done all that we can to sanitize and, and be prepared in, in all the ways that we can to keep everybody safe, uh, to keep everybody healthy. And so we're just excited uh, to be able to do that again today. And I know that uh, kids were excited. In fact, I had one after first service uh, that was coming in for second service early actually stop me and tell me how excited he was to come to church today. So uh, amen on that. Uh, we're going to uh, be uh, preaching a sermon today, and it's called Changed. We're going to talk about the changed life that we have in Christ. Now, a lot of us have had to change some things over the last few weeks and months, correct? Everybody can kind of relate to that. We've had to make some changes. Uh, some of those changes are good. Uh, some of those changes maybe we don't prefer. Uh, but the fact is, if you live life in uh, these times, something's going to change, right? Uh, the interesting thing is that many of us, we actually like change. In fact, we pursue it in our lives. Uh, maybe maybe you, you would say, well, I'd like to, to, to change this situation in my life, or I'd like to change this quality about myself. Or uh, some of you might say, oh, I'd really like to uh, change my financial situation. I'd like to uh, change uh, the, this, this job situation that I'm in. But regardless of what it is, we need to embrace the change. Now, what's cool is the Bible says when you come to Jesus, Christ that you will be forever changed and that change is something that that God actually wants us to do and we have a part that we pay play in that God has a part that he's played in that and the wonderful thing is that we can change for the better because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary and that will reflect Christ to the world it'll be something that glorifies him through worship and so the where I want to begin this morning is just by saying this the mark of salvation is a changed life the mark of salvation is a changed life if you want to know if someone is really saved then you will see a change in their life they won't be the same if you knew them before uh, they accepted Christ, if you knew them before um, they were a, a part of Christ in the watery grave of baptism, in Romans 6 it says they were raised to walk in newness of life. If you knew that person B.C., before Christ, and then you got to know them again after they've made that decision for Christ, you should see a change in their life. You should see the priority shift. You should see the attitudes and actions now exemplify Christ. They now have the Holy Spirit of God living in them and guiding them and maybe even sometimes provoking them to live out this changed life. And that's the mark of it. Let's look at our text this morning and see what it has to, to say about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to begin there with verse 9. And as always, uh, you can do like me, go old school and do it in your Bible. But if you want to follow along another way, you can get on your phone or get on your uh, tablet or your iPad. Download the Oakwood app. And how you do that is you just search Oakwood Enid in your app store. And uh, get online there, and all the sermon notes and all the scriptures and everything is right there for you in the app. It's a great way to follow along. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 9, it says this. Or do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? It's a pretty plain, straightforward statement, right? 
that the unrighteous will not. Those that are, that are still in their sin, those that have not accepted Jesus Christ, are still living that life of sin, they will not, the Bible's clear on this, will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not go to heaven. Now look what it says as we continue. Do not be deceived, because some people think, well, I can live the double life, right? I keep one foot in the world, one foot in Christ Jesus. I can continue sinning all I want. It doesn't matter anymore. Do not be deceived. And then he's going to name some specific things here that he's been addressing with the Christians in Corinth at this time. He says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that is in no way an exhaustive list, okay? You could add some things in that list like liars, okay? If you're a, if you're a liar, you're a sinner. You know, people, people that embezzle. Uh, maybe it's somebody that, that struggles with foul language. I mean, if you sin and you miss the mark and you commit sin against God, you would be in that list. It's not an exhaustive list. He's just using some things that he's been addressing in the church of Corinth at the time. Now look at verse 11, because I love verse 11. Uh, it, it really is where this whole thing turns. And, and look what he says there. He says, and such were some of you. That applies to us today, doesn't it? We read this list and we're like, and such were some of you. Some of you were that exact same way. Some of you are, some of you are done some of those things. You, you would make the sin list here, right? He says, and such were some of you. You were the swindlers. You were the drunkards. You were, you were all these things. And he says, but you were washed. Amen? You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And because of that, you live a life that is now changed. And it's changed forever by Jesus Christ and by your encounter with Him. You see, it leads us here uh, to, to the second thing this morning. Change is commanded by Jesus and promised in the Gospel. It's commanded by Jesus and promised in the gospel. One thing I want to point out there in verse 11, it says, and such were some of you. Were is past tense. It's something from your past. You used to be that way. You used to be caught up and entangled in all those patterns of sin in your life. But now, because of Jesus Christ, you are raised to walk in that newness of life and you are a new creation, the Bible says. The old is gone. The new has come. Walking that out in our life. But I want you to know here that change is commanded by Jesus and promised in the Gospel. It's commanded by Jesus and promised in the Gospel. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is beginning his ministry. In fact, there's a subheading here that says Jesus begins his ministry. He's just come out of a temptation where he has uh, spent 40 days fasting, and, and you know the story uh, where the devil has tempted Jesus, and Jesus has overcome uh, through the power of God and the Holy Spirit, and, and he comes out of that time, and, and right at the end of that, it says that he begins his ministry, and he's addressing them some things, and look what it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, it's commanded by Christ that we repent, that we change. That's what that word means. 
If you ever read the word repent in the Scripture, it literally in the Greek it means to change your mind or to change your direction. It gives us the idea of making a turn. And so if we're going our own way and our own sinful pattern in life, and we repent, we actually turn and we go a different direction. And that's what we're called to do in Scripture. That's what Jesus commands us to do right here in, in Matthew 4.17. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's not the only time Jesus says that. All throughout his teaching and all throughout his ministry, he calls many, many people to repentance. Change is commanded by Jesus. But it is also promised in the gospel. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed. You see, it's an ongoing thing. It's We are being, we're in a process, being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You see, in the Gospel, in the saving grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, it is promised that you are being transformed. There's a process and you are a part of that. And it all begins with this idea that we would repent of our sins, we would turn away from our sins, that we would change our mind, change our direction, and go a new way in life. It sounds simple, doesn't it? Let me tell you what's happened with that word. We in the church today do not like the word repent. It kind of has a negative connotation, right? I mean, if you, uh, let, let's imagine this. Let's say you go to small group tonight. Okay, you're, you're meeting in someone's living room, you're sitting around talking, and, 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 and you've got your friend, you know, Joseph over here, and Joseph's been uh, one of those guys that he's just been negative, and he's had this bad attitude about, you know, some stuff going on at work, and you just feel prompted, and you say, you know, Joseph, I think you should repent of your attitude. That is offensive, right? I mean, you kind of feel that little hint of like, whoa, you know, you're, you're judging me, and you're, you're calling me to repent. That's just not something we do nowadays. We'll call people to repentance. Like they do in the scripture. No, we don't do that. We just pray for them, right? Oh, I'm just going to say a prayer for them. I don't ever want to tell them about their relationship with Jesus Christ or try to encourage them to change. You know, is is you know that's for that's between them and the Lord, right? You know, we don't ever see that in, in scripture. And yet, all throughout the the New Testament, we see people getting uh, in each other's lives and encouraging other. It even says in scripture we're that we're to admonish one another, and all the more, which means more frequently, as we see the day approaching, as we see the day of Christ return approaching as we see that day coming and it gets closer and closer and closer every day of our lives every minute every second then we need to be on alert and we need to be pursuing the things of God even more we need to be repenting even more we need to have this attitude of repentance in our life but we don't put that into practice another thing that we've done with repentance in the church that I believe is is we've made repentance of not really what's intended to be you know, we used to do this thing years ago. You might remember this if you were ever a, 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 part, of, a part of the church. Is, is we, at the end of the sermon, we played this song, and we called it, you know, the, the invitation song. It was an invitation. Uh, some, of, some people would call it an altar call or something like that. And, and as we played this song, at the end of the message, we would invite people, all of you that are sitting out there, to come forward. And you would actually walk and come forward, and you would sit on the front row, and, and, and the preacher, um, and maybe some elders and some other staff, the, the preacher would come down off the platform and say, hey, why have you come this morning? 
You know, and it was this time where a lot of people saw that, they're like, oh, look at old, you know, Jennifer's going down there, and she's been really, really struggling with all the situations from her sin in her life, and, you know, and we would make it this time of repentance, but here's what really happened, is people would come forward, and, and sometimes they're very moved by the message, the Holy Spirit's working on them, God's working on them, you know, and they would come down front, and they would cry. That's why there was always Kleenex boxes on the front row. There's, there still is, actually. But people would come down front and they would cry. And a lot of times in that moment, you felt convicted and you felt like, oh, man, I feel really bad. I feel sorry for my sins. I mean, I really feel sorry for my sins. Some of my choices that I've made have been horrible. I feel really bad. I feel, you know, people would come, come down and, and feel sorry for their sins. But that's not repentance. Jesus, when, when he says there in Matthew 4.17, he's not saying, hey, feel sorry for your sins. That's not what repentance is. He's not asking you, he's not calling you to feel sorry, he's calling you to change. He's calling you to turn away from that lifestyle of sin and to turn to him and to walk in that newness of life that his precious blood paid and paved the way for you. But so many times we've made it this, this time where we just feel sorry about things that we've done in the past, but Jesus loves us too much to leave us there. He says, I want to change your life. And, you know, I was thinking about uh, examples of this in, in Scripture uh, of different times where Jesus encountered people and, pro and provoked change in their life, right? like called them to, to repentance. Do uh, you remember the story of the woman that was caught in adultery? Maybe you've heard that story before. The Bible actually says she was literally caught in the act of adultery. Now, so many people read that story and they're like, well, what happened to the guy? I mean, he's equally involved here, but uh, we, we don't know exactly. It doesn't say in Scripture, but we know they drug this lady who was caught in the act of adultery out into the city streets. Uh, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, religious types were all gathering around here, and they, and they were proclaiming the law on her. And the law said, if you do this kind of thing, then you will be stoned to death. I picture her kind of huddled down, maybe with her hands over her head, trying to protect herself, maybe kind of like, you know, what we would call today, we'd say, oh, she's down in the fetal position, and she's ready for those rocks to come. And, and, and all these people are picking up rocks, and they're ready to chunk them at her, and Jesus intercepts the situation, and he walks in, and he says, let you who are without sin cast the first stone. Everybody's like, well, we, we're... Well, yeah, I mean, I had some sin. I sinned this week. And, and the story goes that stone by stone was dropped from the hands of all the people there. And Jesus goes over to this woman who was caught in the act of adultery and, and gets, gets, her, gets her to stand up. And the first thing he says to her, this is just the way Jesus is. He's so awesome. Uh, he, he asks questions sometimes that you know the answer to, but he's trying to make a point. He says, where are your accusers? Well, duh, you just ran them off with your comment about, you know, let him who's without sin cast the first time. And so, but I, I picture there's no social distancing here. And, and he's there, and he's right there, and she's right there, and, and they're talking, and they're eyeball to eyeball. And in this moment, I'm thinking, Jesus is going to hug her, right? Jesus is going to say, my grace I give to you, I love you, uh, you know. But you know what he says, how he ends this whole sequence? The scripture says that Jesus, and I just picture him looking in her eye right there. He says, go and sin no more. I saved you right now, and I did not save you to go back to that pattern in your life. I did not save you right now to go back to adultery. 
Let's, let's fast forward to today. I did not save you right now to have you to go back to pornography, to go back to foul language, to go back to unhealthy patterns of relating in your life. Whatever it is for you, Jesus would say and look you in the eye and say, that's not what I saved you for. And, and right there with the woman caught in adultery, he says, go and sin no more. Another time. We don't know exactly what was said in the situation, but you remember the story of Zacchaeus, right? We say Zacchaeus, and you think Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, okay? So he was, he was, he was vertically challenged, okay? So, so Zacchaeus, the wee little man, it says in the scripture, uh, you can read about this in Luke 19, it says that he was a chief tax collector, okay? He was actually a chief tax collector, which means he was like way high up. And it was really putting a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths because he was Jewish, but he was collecting taxes for the Romans who were occupying their territory and, and they were suppressed by the Romans right then. And so it, it was a bad, bad thing for you to be a Jew and be a chief tax collector for Rome, but that's what he did. The chief tax collectors, they were known as swindlers, cheaters. They would collect more money than Rome wanted, and they'd put it in their own pocket. I mean, Zacchaeus, that was who he was. He may have been a wee little man, but he was a rich wee little man, very wealthy. And the story goes that Jesus was coming into town, and Zacchaeus was like so many in the crowd that he was looking at Jesus saying, man, I heard this guy, if you hang out with him, you might see a miracle, blind people see, lame people walk. In fact, one time I heard he fed like 5,000 people. Like, like just made food out of nothing. So <clears throat> a lot of people were, were trying to see Jesus and trying to get a glimpse of him and to be around him for all the wrong reasons. But here's Zacchaeus, and he's, again, a wee little man. And so he climbs up in a tree just so he can see Jesus as Jesus comes by. And Jesus stops in one of those, I'm the son of God moments, you know. He's like, he, you know, it's like how does he know Zacchaeus' name? We don't know. It's because he's God's son, and he can do that, you know. He stops by, he says, hey, Zacchaeus, you come down because I'm going to your house today. I'm going to come stay with you and share a meal with you. Can you imagine Zacchaeus like, hey, man, this is, man, it's like the rabbi, all the crowds around him, and he wants to come eat a meal at my place. It's probably because he knows I'm, I'm, I'm rich and wealthy. I've got all this, you know, I'm going to give him, give him a good meal. So Zacchaeus comes down, and they go to his house. Now, we don't know what's said. We don't know how the meal goes. Uh, not much information about that, but we know the results of it. And the result of Zacchaeus' encounter with Jesus at the end he says, I'm going to give half of my belongings to the poor. And if I cheated anyone out of anything, I'm going to pay them back what I cheated them out of times four. Fourfold, I'm going to give them back what I took from them. Do you know what that tells me? That when he encountered Jesus, something changed. There was a change in his life. And he wasn't the same Zacchaeus anymore. Now, I don't know if he went on collecting taxes, but I bet you if he did, he did it in an honest way. And as he was collecting mourning and getting richer for himself, he was giving it to the poor. You see, when people encounter Jesus, they are changed. And this change happens because people are called to repentance, to turn away from their life of sin, to move toward Jesus Christ. It's commanded by Jesus and promised in the gospel. That we would change. That we're not just called to feel sorry. We're not called to cry. Unless it leads you to repentance. Look, look at this scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 8-10 through 10 says this. And this is the Apostle Paul. And he's, he's writing to these Christians in Corinth. And this is his second letter. And he says this. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. 
Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. It led you to change. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Listen listen to what it says in verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation that leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Let's read that again. Let it soak in. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation that leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Jesus did not come for you to feel sorry unless it was a godly sorrow that led you to repentance that leads to salvation and the change that God can make in your life and you'll have no regrets living for him. It's only with the worldly sorrow that brings death when we don't live the change that God has produced in our lives. Jesus loves you too much and he loves everyone in scripture that he encountered too much to leave them the same. That's why he tells an adulterous woman, go and sin no more. That's also why he tells a chief tax collector. He has an encounter with him and that chief tax collector says, I'm now giving to the poor and I'm repaying and making restitution on everything that I did wrong. These people encountered Jesus and Jesus commanded change. And he provides it through salvation and through the Holy Spirit for us. The third thing that we can learn this morning, Christians are delivered from the past and empowered to live a new life in Christ. We are delivered from the past and we're empowered to live a new life in Christ. Look what it says here in Ephesians Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 22. It says here that we are to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you see? We are delivered from our sins and empowered to live a new life in Christ. It is absurd to think that Jesus and his encounter with the adulterous woman would stand there and say, you know what? I saved you from your sins literally and figuratively here. I saved your life from stoning. Go and commit adultery and get in this situation some more. Right? I mean, we're all like, yeah, right. I mean, that's absurd. But isn't that exactly what we do when we choose to go back to the things that Jesus saved us from? And we don't tap into the power of the Holy Spirit to live a changed life. This this concept in Ephesians for here of putting off and putting on, putting off the old life, putting on the new life. We're all in process in that. I get it. I'm in process in that. But that's what God's called us to do is to be moving that direction in our life. And how we start that is to repent, is to change our direction and to move toward God. That we would be people, I mean, the, the, the likeness of God, it says, in true righteousness and holiness. Like that is our pursuit. And the Bible says we can have that through the saving grace of Jesus Christ. 
So it really comes down and it, and it kind of makes this question maybe rise up within us. Okay, I, I get it. I understand. I see it in the Scriptures. So why don't more Christians experience the changed life in Christ? Why don't more Christians experience this changed life in Christ? And sometimes I think there's some, some confusion. Some believers confuse justification with sanctification. Okay, let me explain what, what, what I mean by this. It's in verse 11 in our text. So 1 Corinthians 6, go back to verse 11. And, and remember, it starts out by saying, and such were, past tense, such were some of you, but you were washed. And then he says, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, this word justified or the concept of justification in faith, it is a judicial term. And it denotes that God has declared the penalty of sin paid in full through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's why it says that there in verse 11. That you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's nothing you can do to change it, and there's nothing you can do about it. Your only response to it is to accept it or reject it. And that's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. You have to make that decision before you die. If you haven't made that decision this morning and you go out and, and heaven forbid that something would happen to you and you would lose your life and you haven't made that decision, then you did by not making it. You've chosen the wrong thing. And there's condemnation. And there is literally hell to pay for the rest of your life. And God has not forced us into this. He loves us so much. He gives us the freedom of our choice in this. But He has done everything He needed to do. He has sent His Son Jesus to the cross. And it says that we are justified because of Jesus' act on the cross. All we have to do is accept and reject it. It's salvation and forgiveness of sins through Jesus' sacrifice. Then, sometimes people get this confused with sanctification. Sanctification is the process of transformation that happens in the believer's life. And yes, it is hard work that we have our part to play in it. We're supposed to be reading the Word and, and praying to the Lord and watching how we live and, and, and watching uh, when temptation comes our way, that, that God's going to provide a way out, the Scripture says, so that we can stand up under it and we're supposed to be repenting like it's a process, not just like a one-time repentance, but a daily repentance. And this process of transformation with the hard work, we utilize God's Holy Spirit, and we are called to walk in newness of life. We are called to walk in a way that honors God. And so we, again, repent of sin, turn away from sin, we go God's way, and we live for Him. As I, as I close our time today, I want to end... But just being real and maybe giving you a little point of application here and hopefully some hope. Because I imagine that some of you right now, you're sitting here and you're thinking, I mean, if you were honest, you know, just you and God, just a you and God conversation, what if I'm not changed? Like, like what if I'm being honest here and saying, I live the exact same way before Christ as I do now. And I've made that decision. If you made that decision to accept God's grace, then you might have missed the step of repentance. Because repentance means to change your mind and change your direction. In Acts chapter 2, when, when Peter is giving the sermon to all of Jerusalem and everyone's hearing it, and they hear the gospel, there's, it says that they were stricken to the heart. And they cried out to him, they said, what must we do to be saved? And he turns to them, and you know what the first thing he says to them is? Repent. 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins. And then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will help you walk in what he wrote about in Romans 6, the watery grave of baptism. You get to walk out in this newness of life. And it's not only for yourself. It's not only your best life, because you know I could give you all the best life now. You know, thoughts on this is that it's, it's, it's your best life now because you don't have to deal with the guilt of sin in your life, the, the sinful patterns that lead to consequences in your life. People are happier. Uh, people have a better reputation. I mean, life is just better when you're walking in the ways of the Lord, when you're walking with Jesus Christ. Now, you can try to do it on your own. There's a lot of good people that don't ever make it to heaven because it's only through the grace of Jesus Christ. You have to accept Jesus Christ. He's the only way you can be successful. He's the only way because you are justified by faith in him. He's the only way you're justified before the almighty God. You can never be good enough. But after you accept Christ, he leads you to change. He loves you so much, he's not going to leave you in a spot where you are not changed. And that's why when you encounter a newer baby Christian, I love being around new Christians, baby Christians, because if you knew them before and they've accepted the grace of God and now they've been baptized, you can just see the change in their life. There should be a marked change in the life of a believer. And if you're a believer that maybe I've been a Christian for 30 years, you should be 30 years down the road on that track to reflecting Jesus Christ. And it bears testimony and witness too. That's part of our, our, our witness and our testimony to God is how we're living our lives. When I was a teenager, uh, a band came out called DC Talk, and uh, our youth minister and parents and different people are trying to get us to get off secular music, you know, and to get on to, you know, Christian music. And so some of you might be familiar with a band, DC Talk. Uh, Toby Mack was the lead singer for DC Talk, and you may have heard of Toby Mack. He's still doing music today. I remember DC Talk on, on one of their albums had this track that was just words right before a song came in. And they made this line, this statement that's always stuck with me. I think it's so good, but I think it's so true. It's very, 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 very convicting. You want to hear it? Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. This is what it said. The single leading cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and they walk out the doors of the church and they deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Is that someone who had sacrificed their life for your sins, that you would change and yet they see you as no different with no more convictions and no more holiness or righteousness than anyone else. Ouch. But maybe some truth that we need to own. I'm not saying that we're going to be perfect. I'm not saying that we're not going to stumble and fall, that we may have a season where we stumble or that we might have this sin that's just crouching at our door that we're trying to overcome. And I think we all have that. What I'm talking about is a yield to Jesus Christ daily. If you think I can just repent once and be done with it. No, 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 no. Repent every day. <laughs> for, for some of us like me, repent all the time. Change your mind, change your direction, and go God's way. Because if you do, I can promise you this. 
as you go through this process of sanctification, this transformation Jesus is making in your life, it's going to be so beautiful to the people around you. It's going to be your best version of you, the you that God created you to be. And it's done through the power of the Holy Spirit being walked out in your life. And it's your choice. God doesn't come down and force you to repent. He's not going to force you to accept Him as Savior and Lord. He's not even going to force you to live the life that He's called you to. But He does love you enough to not leave you the same. Make that choice today to repent, to turn away from your sin, and to live out the change that God's called us to. Let's pray. Lord God, it is so good to know that you love us so much that you give us your grace. And it was at the expense of the life of your son. And Lord, we stand amazed and humbled and thankful as people that know there's no way we could be counted as righteous except that we are justified through the grace of Jesus Christ. And through his love and through his sacrifice, we are made new. And Lord God, I imagine in a room this size today and with all of those that are watching online, Lord, there's someone right now that have never made that decision. They've never really surrendered their life to you. They've never called you Savior and Lord. God, I pray today would be the day of salvation. Lord, that they wouldn't leave this building or turn off that screen before they have reached out to someone to talk about that relationship with Jesus Christ. Because their salvation literally hinges on that decision. But Lord, I imagine there's many more of those of us that would say we are a Christian. We are churched people. But when we leave the doors of the church, we go out and we deny, we deny them by our lifestyle. Our language, our morality looks just like everyone else that's not saved. And it sends a very, very confusing message to the world. God, I pray, not only would you get all the glory and the praise, but God, that there would be many souls that are turned toward you because of the witness, because of the testimony and the power, because of the example of this changed life in a Christian that we get to see. And we know that it's 100% because of the power of Jesus being on that heart, being on that mind. So God, I just pray, continue to do that redemptive work in us. Lord, that we would be a people today that would choose change and choose to repent and turn away from sin and move your way. And we pray in the strong and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.